thank you very much, boys and girls, for listening. Um, there should be some lollipops on the way out at the doors. Um, thank you. Thank you to Aaron, indeed, for that. And it's wonderful, as you will see as the morning progresses, how the Lord dovetails in so much together. It is good to see you all out today. You're all looking well refreshed after an extra hour in bed last night. And it's good to see everyone was able to keep the right time today. And we're all found in the house of the Lord as we're able to do. And we pray that the Lord will bless us throughout the remainder of the day as it proceeds. The Lord's uh, table, the time of remembrance around the table is, of course, after the preaching part of the service. And so please do stay as you're able to do so and remember our Lord in his appointed way. The Sunday School and the JYC return after the half-term break at 3 p.m. And then the Gospel Services at 7 p.m. preceded by the Time of Prayer at 6.20. And God willing, Olivia Moffat will be along to minister to us in song, and we're looking forward to that. Tuesday at 8 p.m. is the Bible class, and be faithful once more as we come together around the theme of the covenants of the Bible and rehearse, of course, the truth that our God is a covenant-keeping God. And we've known the Lord's blessing and help in recent weeks And so be faithful once more as we look forward uh, to what the Lord will do amongst us this coming Tuesday in His will. Wednesday at 8 p.m. is Ladies' Fellowship, and Ruth Lavery will be along to lead in a Bible study. And so ladies of all ages are encouraged to be uh, at that meeting on Wednesday evening at 8 p.m., please. Thursday at 8 p.m. is the Assembly Prayer Meeting. And once more, we're coming together to remember our families, to remember the needs of the fellowship, and so be faithful in your attendance at the place of prayer this Thursday at 8 p.m. Friday at 6.45, the Good News Club, 8.15 for the BYF. And once more, they're returning after a half-term break as well, so be praying for the leaders, for the helpers, and indeed for the children and young people. And then Saturday at 2 p.m., the outreach team will meet and go down the town, Lord willing, uh, to spread the gospel and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So be praying for them. And if you're part of that, then remember that outreach at 2 p.m. Today's a building and maintenance fund offering. And so as you give, just be aware that that's what you're giving to. And let's be faithful in our giving, even as the Lord has given unto us. Next week is the missionary offering, being the first Sunday of the month. And it's hard to believe that the time is passing by so quickly, but there you are. It's the first Sunday of November next week, and it will be the missionary offering received for those within our missionary family. Also next Sunday evening, after the gospel service, will be the Sunday School Teachers Meeting. Uh, So Sunday School Teachers, please keep that in mind and be here for that meeting uh, next Sunday evening after the gospel service. Just before we come to the Word of God, then we're going to sing together again, Ancient of Days. Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. It may be unfamiliar to some, but let's lift their voices and join in praise together as we sing this hymn, please.
Romans in the chapter 5 this morning. Romans in the chapter 5. Let's read together from the verse 1 of the chapter. And the Word of God says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but the law is not imputed where, when there is no, or but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Ending our reading there at the end of the chapter. Now, as we come to consider this passage before us, we do so recognizing, identifying, and I trust understanding as we've read these words together that this is a complicated passage of Scripture. Indeed, many have said that this is perhaps one of the greatest challenging pieces to be contained in the Word of God. And right there in the heart of the chapter, the verse 12, many have highlighted that to be perhaps the most challenging verse of them all. Now, we've read through the chapter this morning. It's without doubt that it's very wordy. It's without doubt there are many things that attacks our minds and stretch our minds as we consider them. 
But as we come to the Word of God in this meeting, we desire not to get bogged down. We desire not to simply overburden one another with all that is contained in this chapter. Rather, it is our desire to once more mine out a ruby from this chapter. Because I believe we have a simple understanding given to us of all that's contained in this chapter because of a phrase that is found five times in the chapter. I wonder, did you identify it as we read through it? And so this morning as we come to consider the Word of God, the ruby from Romans is simply this, much more, much more. And that's going to be our theme this morning. That's going to be our consideration as we take in the chapter as a whole, but we're doing so under this ruby, much more. I want us to consider, firstly, the much more of his death, the much more of his death. That's given to us in verse 6, for when we were without, yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And these verses remind us of the much more of his death. Right at the start here, the apostle highlights a great truth. You and I were without strength. You and I were weak. We were unable in and of ourselves to do anything to change our eternal destiny. This is something we've remarked upon already as we've studied in this book. You and I could do nothing to change the reality of our sin condition and the, the eternal destiny then that awaited us because of that sin condition. We were without strength. We were weak. We were unable. We were unable even perhaps we could stretch it a little, not only to change our eternal destiny, but we were unable also to give real meaning or purpose to our lives. To provide security. To provide hope. All that has been rehearsed from verses 1 through 6 have been the great benefits and the great blessings of salvation. But yet the apostle reminds us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, you and I were without strength. We couldn't not only save ourselves, but we couldn't even affect the changes of salvation. We couldn't bring about the reality of the blessings of salvation in our day-to-day -day lives, in our day-to-day -day experience. We were without strength. We, even the very best of us, we were and remain to be weak when it comes to the great spiritual battles, the great spiritual struggles of life. But praise God for Jesus Christ. For when we were without strength, when we were yet in our sin, when we were unlovely and unlovable, the Word of God goes on to remind us that Christ died for us. When God identified, realized, and recognized that there we were in our lost condition, there we were weak, unable in and of ourselves to affect the change that was necessary, affect any worthwhile change in our lives, then in the fullness of time, Christ came and Christ died for us. Dying for us, he shed his precious blood. His precious blood is that which cleanses the sinner from all his sin. 
His blood is that with which we who were stained and polluted by our sin might be declared justified in His sight. That's exactly what he says in verse 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood. And so Christ, as He died upon that cross, we know that He bore our sin. We know that He carried our sorrow. But we also know that upon that cross, He shed of His own blood a sacrifice for all. He gave of His own life a sacrifice for you and for me. And by the shedding of that blood, you and I can know forgiveness. You and I can know cleansing. We can know what it is to be justified in the sight of God. Now, justification is a legal term. It describes to us our standing in Christ. It reminds us that the law, that which the Jewish person was consumed with and full of consideration to, that law, the legal framework of its moral code, it's no more hold over the believer. It's no more claim over the believer. Now, you might have heard a justification described as this. Just as if I never sinned. We all identify with that and to, to confirm in our own hearts just a reality of what it means to be saved. That goes some way in describing what the term means. But I suggest to you that justification is much more than just as if I never sinned. For I suggest to you that it goes much further. Because as God looks at you and I this morning, He looks at those who have imputed to us, if we're saved by faith, Christ and His righteousness. And so as, Christ, as God looks at us, it's not just as if I never sinned. It's much more than that. It's, it goes even as far as to say, and I never could sin. Because he looks at us and he sees Christ. He sees his precious blood applied to our hearts. He sees his sinless, spotless righteousness imputed to me. And not only was his work perfect, but remember his very life was perfect. God looks at me today. He looks at you if you know what it is to be cleansed in His precious blood, to have repented of your sin and by faith trusted in Him for your soul's salvation. Then He looks at you, He looks at me, and He sees His sinless, spotless Son, the one anointed, the one appointed to be the Savior of the world long before time began. And so in the courtroom of God, I stand as a defendant. And there on the other side of that courtroom stands the devil as a prosecutor. And his desire, his intention is to read aloud all of those sins that I have committed. To read the charges. He wants to read the long list of my misdemeanors, my wickedness, my evil thoughts, my selfish behavior. But before he's even halfway through, standing to his feet and raising a nail-pierced hand is my advocate. The great defender of my salvation. And he says, Father, 
that's my child. There's no record of these charges in the accounts of heaven. For this man, this woman, this boy, or this girl who stands in this courtroom this morning, who has been saved by my precious blood, he knows what it is to be forgiven. See my hands, my side, my feet. With my blood I bought his pardon. That's my child. And they are free. There's now no condemnation to them who have believed. Jesus Christ has wrought our pardon. We are justified by His blood. We are saved from wrath through Him. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians in the chapter 2 and the verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. And I tell you this morning, and that's much more of his death. He sees not the weak, pathetic sinner without strength, but he sees one who is robed in the righteous garments of his own dear son. So for me, for you, There's no condemnation. There's no wrath. We're justified by His blood because in His suffering, in His death, He accomplished much more. How about you today? Do you know my Jesus? Or are you still lost and outside of Him? For I realize that in this gathering this morning will not only be the majority perhaps of those who have known and tasted and seen of this so great salvation, but there are undoubtedly those amongst us today who know nothing of what it is to be free from the law. Who know nothing what it is to stand without fear, apprehension in the sight of God. This morning, why? Why would you countenance standing before a thrice holy God without an advocate? Why would you await when the day whenever the charges are read against you and the hammer of God's justice falls and says you're guilty as charged? The apostle here is reminding us that Christ came He lived upon this earth, but He died a death to accomplish much more than you could ever hope to accomplish in your own strength. The much more of His death is that He died to give you access to the very forgiveness that's promised. Will you not come and accept of His mercy, accept of His grace, accept of His pardon? lay hold upon the much more that is promised through his finished work. But we see not only the much more of his death, but notice with me, the much more of his life. The much more of his life. That's found for us in the verses 10 and 11. 
And I don't know about you, but the much more of his death is enough for me to comprehend. To think that God's own dear son, the darling of heaven, the fairest of 10,000 to my soul, the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star. To think that he who was without spot, without blemish, without sin, to think that he who is and will forever be the altogether lovely one gave his life to set me free. I tell you, that's too much to fully comprehend. It's too much to fully take in, but yet the apostle goes on to highlight this truth. Not only is all of that true, But in this specific matter, there is much more. He says, for if, we were enemy, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. It reminds us of the truth that those who know what it is to be justified by his death know also what it is to be reconciled to God. Peace has been made. We who were once strangers and outcasts are now brought nigh. He hath made peace by the blood of his cross, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as he writes in the verse 1 of this chapter. But now we come even further in our understanding. For being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And before us in this verse is the great truth that salvation is about much more than just saving us from wrath. It's about much more than saving us from God's wrath, much more than being saved from hell, the sinner's hell. It is also very much about providing us access to the full extent and joy of our salvation. Of knowing the completeness of God's provision in our salvation. You might ask this morning, well, what do you mean? To fully explain it, I think we have to come back to the I am statements of Christ. The most significant one that relates to all that we're dealing with this morning is found for us in John's Gospel in the chapter 10 and the verse 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Now, for many Christians, that's where their understanding of this statement and indeed their understanding of salvation ends. For many, it's the case that they simply rejoice in the fact that they're saved. They're not going to hell. They're not going to know what it is to experience the reality of God's judgment for their sin. And so for them, the I am statement of Christ is simply this, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. 
But knowing that verse, as I know many of us will, if not all of us this morning, then we know that that's not where that verse ends. And it's most certainly not where our understanding and indeed our appreciation of the salvation that Christ has provided for us should end. For that verse, that I am statement of Christ continues, it says, He shall be saved, he shall go in and out and find pasture. You might say, I still don't understand. What are you, what are you getting at? Well, consider this. We all know how a door works. Through a door we can go in, and through a door we can go out. It has a dual purpose. When it comes to salvation, and when it comes to this I am statement of Christ, and in that he says, I am the door. For any sinner who desires to know salvation, then they must enter in. They must know experientially that salvation for themselves. But isn't it also true that God desires for us to step out? Step out into service? Step out into blessing? Now consider this this morning, that this here, there's the doorway of this pulpit. And here I am on the one side, and if I step into this doorway, there I am. It's all nice, it's comfortable. I'm now a little less of a target for anyone who wants to throw things. Got a little less of a protection, and I don't feel just as confined there, because here I am, and I've stepped out of the door, stepped into this area here. But not only does this doorway allow me to step in, but remember, of course, that I can step out and I can enjoy the full benefits of the blessing of the great expanse of the platform area here, this step up from the ground floor. I can be able to walk about. I can enjoy all the blessings, all the benefits of a little extra freedom and of being a little bit more down to earth. That's exactly what the Lord is reminding us about when it comes to I am the door. Don't be content just stepping into salvation. Don't be content having, as it were, a get-out-of-jail card in the pocket, knowing that whenever you stand before God, all will be well because there's been this time in your life's experience whenever you've confessed your sin and believed in Jesus Christ for your own salvation. Why? Because you haven't even begun to enjoy the full blessings and benefits of salvation if you don't step out. Step out into His mercy and His grace and stop living as a bad advertisement for a believer. Stop living as one who simply is just satisfied that I'm going to heaven. But step out into the joy of His salvation. Step out into the knowledge of His presence with you that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, there is much more to salvation than just escaping wrath. There's enjoying Christ. There's knowing the fullness of the salvation that He offers because He lives for you. Today you can know freedom and the victory over sin that so easily besets you. You can know the tearing down of strongholds in your life. You can know the liberation from all the chains and from all the distractions of life. And you can know what it is to walk with your Lord. 
And one day you have that great hope that is treasured up in you. You're not just patiently enduring life. You're ever pressing forward to a lively hope for one day we shall see him as he is. And one day the sky's going to break and the trumpet's going to sound and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the great hope of our salvation. And so don't be downcast by the things of life. Don't be beset by all the problems. Step out into the promises of God. And enjoy the life that he gives because he lives. We shall live also. So there's a much more of his life. Much more of his person is also given to us. That's given to us in the verses 12 through 17. We heard it referenced in the children's talk this morning. As by one man sin entered into the world, and so death by sin. And in these verses we see two key biblical figures contrasted. On the one hand, Paul draws our attention to Adam. And on the other hand, he points us to Christ. Now the contrast is only conducted at one level. That by which their fruit is known. So that which Adam accomplished, how has it affected mankind? That which Christ has accomplished, how is it able to affect mankind? That's the contrast. We're reminded once more of the consequences of Adam's sin. Adam stands as representative of the whole human race, and so all fell in Adam, and all are partakers in his ruin. As soon as Adam partook of that fruit, as soon as he sinned, he knew spiritual death. That which he once enjoyed with God, well, a great gulf, a great chasm now existed, separating a thrice holy God from a polluted, contaminated, sinful man. But as well as the spiritual death that was an instant reality, physical death awaited. For that natural process of age and decay, that which was now marred and stained by the fall. Remember, man was created in the image of God, but no longer after the fall. It's now marred and stained, polluted. Natural decay has begun its work as soon as the first breath is taken. We're all doomed to die. And so we're reminded that we're all sinners. Not sinners not only because of what we do, but sinners by nature. It's a sobering thought for any father to think that the only thing that they have successfully passed on to their children is sin. Paul goes on to say that the Jew... To them, the law was that which gave unavoidable knowledge of sin. But sin existed from Adam to Moses, he says. Death existed from Adam to Moses. The effects of that transgression in the garden there by Adam 
It was known to every generation. But Paul doesn't linger in Adam. He realizes and identifies in his own being the testimony of all that Adam speaks of. So do you. So do I. We know the sin nature. We know so easily, even after coming to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, how easily it arises to the fore. So he points us to Christ. The one who is much greater than Adam. The one who accomplished much greater things than Adam. The one who is the manifested evidence of the much more love and the much more grace of our God, Jesus Christ himself. He reveals to us the truth that the free gift of salvation that was purchased by Christ, that was obtained and won in the finished work of Christ, is much more. It affects, its effects are much more greater than anything that Adam could have ever hoped to bring into this world. What Adam brought was death, ruin, and devastation. What Christ affords through his finished work is justification, hope, expectation. According to verse 16, it was the one sin of one man. Because of that sin, we all know the same sentence of death and eternal condemnation. But praise God that by the death and the atoning sacrifice of one man, the God-man, the sins of many, indeed the sins of the whole world can be forgiven by all who will come to him by faith. So we see that he has much more in his person. You have the much more of his death, the much more of his life, the much more of his person. But notice with me very quickly the much more of his grace. Don't have time to elaborate on it this morning in great detail. But it's given to us in the remainder of the chapter, verses 18 through 21. By the obedience of Christ, he reminds us by the fact that he finished the work that the Father gave him to do by the shedding of his own blood, by the giving of his own life. Many millions have and many millions will receive this free gift of salvation, this free gift of grace. That's all testimony to perhaps the greatest of all the much more statements of this chapter. This is Reformation Sunday, a day in which many will remember the noble stand taken by many to defend key biblical truths. One of them being salvation is by grace, God's grace, the much more grace of God. God has given His Word, Paul reminds not only the Jew, but Every believer, Gentile alike, he has given his word throughout the ages to reveal our great need of salvation and to reveal the great means of salvation that he has provided in the person and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in doing so, he has revealed to us the much more grace of our God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. When we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we had first begun. Why? Because the song is about much more grace. God's grace. Grace that does much more abound. As he says there at the end of verse 20. And so today we have delved a little into this great chapter. We've exercised our hearts and our minds about the much more of our Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his life, his person, his grace. What will it be for you today? Can I suggest that for every one of us, there is much more to life our lives, your life, than you identify right now. Something may have happened. Sickness may have entered. You may have lost your job. You may have faced great discouragement in your family. You may have lost a loved one. And you think to yourself, yes, I'm saved. Yes, I'm going to glory, but that's it for me. The rubies of Romans have encouraged us to patiently continue. To be fully persuaded in a God who never fails. Why? Because he's able to give us much more than this. The very reason you're here and alive today is because God wants to prove in your life much more. May it be so. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Just the first verse only, and then we'll close in prayer. And those who are not waiting with us, if you wait just until we've closed in prayer, and then you can leave us before we remember our Lord.
Father, help us to believe in the much more. Help us, O Lord, to claim the much more. Help us to trust the unfailing heart of a God who, as we have been just reminded, doeth all things well. Help us to cast ourselves upon the great, much more grace of our God to overcome and to be more than conquerors through him who has loved us, died for us, and washed us from our sin. Unto him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We'll just sing the remainder of that hymn while some leave us. I'll go to the door.